What's up? Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good day, sir. Whatever time of the day you're listening to this. I'm so glad to have you guys here. Welcome to Outside Perspective. I'm your host, Adam Meredith. Every week, twice a week, I'm sitting down with interesting humans. Well, I guess I shouldn't keep saying that because we are doing more solo casts now. Um, The format of the show is I'm sitting down with interesting humans and I'm just trying to have a conversation and, you know, gain some perspective and present you guys with a different perspective. However, this is my fucking show. And I want to give you guys my perspective sometimes. So we're going to do some solo casts here and there. Uh, but either way, twice a week, I'm giving you guys an episode, ideally. And we are learning some shit, thinking about some things, gaining some perspective, just having a good old time. So Thank you guys so much for joining me on this journey. I really appreciate it. If it's your first time joining, welcome. If you're a repeat listener, uh, I love you guys. You guys are the shit, and I couldn't keep doing this without you. So before we get going any further, this episode is brought to you by my good friends over at Jombo Superfoods. You can go to jombocbd.com, check out their full line of cannabidol products. They do also actually have THC products, but you have to be in the great skates. You have to be in California if you want to enjoy those. And uh, I know a lot of my listeners aren't, including myself. So you can go to jombocbd.com and check out their full line of CBD products. They have a bomb, which the Muscle Bomb is by far my absolute favorite product. I do also love the cinnamon spray. It's one of my favorite things to add to coffee. Uh, I put it in my kids' oatmeal. It's just, it tastes amazing. And uh, all of their products are high quality. I know exactly what I'm getting with them, which is so important. You can't just trust any company out there. And not all products are created equally. So because of this, you need to make sure that whatever product you are using, whichever CBD company you are going with, just make sure that they're using, um, at at the very least, at the very least, they're sending their products to testing. Ideally, they're also using organic uh, ingredients and all all premium ingredients, but at the very least, they need to be sending their products to a third-party laboratory for testing, so that way you can verify exactly what you're getting and you're not getting any of the filler or junk uh, in your in your cbd products so that's one of the main reasons why i do love jumbo cbd is because they are taking that uh, they are taking the steps to have their products tested they are using all quality ingredients and if you're like me uh and you train heavily or you don't even have to train heavily right i mean if you're just if you're just feeling sore and beat up and stiff diff uh then i think you're going to get a lot of benefit from cbd or you could potentially have benefits from cbd there are anti-inflammatory properties it can help with sleep which a lot of recovery is done during our sleep including our brain recovery uh it helps with digestion and mood regulation and it's been shown just to have benefits in several areas so you may experience some sort of relief or benefit using cbd and please let me rest you assured no, you will not fail the drug test. That's the number one question I get oftentimes is so many people are so weary about failing the drug test. 
And if you are, again, back to that third-party laboratory testing, if you are using a quality product that's being tested, you'll be fine. There's nothing that you really need to worry about there. However, if you're just going to some gas station and getting this stuff over the counter, there could be some problems there. So just make sure that you're using a quality product. Again, jombocbd.com. You can save 20% off of your entire order. That's right. Jumbo CBD loves us so much. They love our listeners that they wanted to give you guys 20% off. So use the code outside when you check out. You'll save 20% off the entire order. And then here's a little secret, guys. Let me tell you this. Come in. Come real close. Let me tell you. Let me tell you something. They are also doing buy two, get one free. What? Buy two. Get one free. Use the code outside when you check out, and you'll save 20% off of that entire order. You cannot beat that deal. Holy shit. All right. Jumbo CBD, last time. Go check them out. You guys will absolutely be thrilled that you did. Man, so let's get to the guest today, and I'm thinking about the guest, and man, we had such an amazing experience. I'm a huge believer in the law of attraction, and now what I've, after doing some more study, now I'm more so uh, leading less about the law of attraction, more about the law of radiation, which is just, the law of attraction is just like one half of the law of radiation in the sense that we attract the things that we put out into the universe and so you have to you have to in in order to attract something you have to be that you have to radiate that so it's more than just attraction it's about radiating you know these this energy and these vibes and the life that you you know one again you have to put in the work there's always work there but you have to live a certain way and think a certain way and just embody you know what it is that you're trying to live and I say all that because this podcast I set out, you know, a little over a year ago to just connect with interesting humans and learn and, you know, grow grow something organically and create a community and uh, connect with a whole bunch of humans. And sometimes, you know, you, you come across certain people and you can just feel the connection instantly. It's so weird how we do that, right? You meet somebody, it's like, I like you. You're my friend immediately. I don't know why. And some people, no matter how hard you try, you know, the energy just doesn't it just doesn't match well. Like you might be able to be cordial and interact with each other, but just something doesn't feel right. And that and and there's something to that. I'm I'm just a huge believer in in, in just energy. And um, my guest today, uh, the Iron Tamer, Dave Whitley. He uh he's one of those guys, man, like you meet him and he has had really good energy and I could just tell when it was all said and done, uh, when he was leaving that, you know, and he even made the comment like like this is gonna be like this is the start of like a beautiful relationship. Like we're now friends. And uh it's just so cool how that works. Like you, you put in the work and you meet these people and if you you know when you are living a certain type of way and projecting that energy, it's just so cool to see the people that you come across. And uh, Dave is a, is a really cool human being. And, uh, dude, he's an old-time strongman. He's a motivational speaker. He is doing some phenomenal feats of strength. He's bending red nails. He's bending 
Uh, he brings a wrench on the show. He's ripping cards and phone books and he's slamming nails in the in the boards and he's busting up coconuts and dude, he's just doing some amazing stuff. And we were talking and it really stemmed and I don't want to give too much of the story away, but it really stemmed from, you know, just being a kid and having that imagination and wanting to be superhuman, right? You know, not feeling like you necessarily fit in around you and you're just like, man, I wish I was just something more. I feel like we all kind of want that. Even if you do have a lot of friends, um, sometimes, I mean, if, if you're like me anyway and you were a kid, growing up and watching like x-men or yeah x-men comes to mind specifically for me but just like or superman or spider-man or any superhero stuff uh or anything you know related to like fantasy where there's powers or anything like that then you've probably spent some time thinking about what power you'd want to have and let me tell you friends for me I've always loved Wolverine. Now, I thought it was pretty cool if you could have, like, the animantium and, like, have, like, the metal skeleton and you have the claws and you can cut through anything. Like, that's pretty cool. But then, like, you realize, like, Wolverine's real power is his ability to regenerate and heal. I'm like, ooh, that'd be a cool superpower. Like, I kind of actually live my life to do that anyway, which is really weird, right? So, these comics and these cartoons like they exemplify these these qualities that we really uh, admire and we'd really like to have whether it's for me the things that are important to me it's like I'm time I'm very time conscious so teleportation boom one place to the next you're here you're there I can be halfway across the world I'd love to have that power how cool would that be it would save me so much time and I could travel the world and that power is relevant to the things that I find important uh, my guest today, strength, strength was very important to him. The Hulk is something, um, or somebody, someone, something, I don't know how to say that, but is a character that uh, he's always really related to. And as a result, he's he's lived his life in a way that has allowed him to become superhuman in that regard, in strength, just he's bending nails and he's just doing all this cool shit. And for me, like I said, like if I, my two favorite superhero, you know, heroes growing up or superpowers would be like teleportation, which I don't know if I can figure that one out. I can fly a plane, I can get on a plane, and we can save some time that way. But for Wolverine was healing, and man, we can become superhuman in our own regard and like i said dave has found his way to do that and uh he has a book called superhuman you which i've jumped into and i'm i'm really uh, i'm really enjoying that book that reads so far but um you know my takeaway from the conversation was you know you uh, if i've always said it you know you got to put in the work um the mind is so powerful and you know that was a big takeaway from the conversation just what the the thoughts that you have like you need to encompass positivity and determination and grit and you got to be willing to put in the work but the moment that you start doubting yourself and you start having this negative self-talk and this negative conversation with yourself you're doomed so the mind is so important but i realized sorry my mind works in a weird way but i realized that i am living my life in a way to 
be superhuman in regards to what I find important. So for me, it was always I love Wolverine's like ability to heal himself. Like I wish I could heal myself that way. Now while I can't, you know, get injured and be healed super quickly, I can and what I have done is live my life in a way so that I do age slower. I do want to age slower. Like Wolverine was like 200 years old and he looked like he was 30. I don't know if I'll be able to achieve that, but what we've learned through health and science and modern technology and what I've learned just from years of sports and just being very in tune with my body, a lot of this has to do with just being in tune with your body and listening to yourself and checking in with yourself and taking that time to slow down, which a lot of people don't. But for me, I have lived in such a way so that way you know i do age slower because there is a difference between our chronological age and our biological age what we've learned so for me i'm trying to be superhuman in the way that i just want to age slowly i want to live as healthily as i can i want to be able to move into advanced age and have the highest quality of life possible which is so important to me it's a part of the basis of my company imposed will and you know it's a true core belief that we can all impose our will on life and have the life that we want to live and I fundamentally believe that and you know through difficult challenges because we have to challenge ourselves like there's no growth in a comfort zone and you know through healthy habits you know living in such a way that we are giving our body the things that we need um, I really believe that we can all achieve the life that we want to have and impose our will on life uh, and you know that's something that is a common theme I've actually found with a lot of successful people in that they had a belief, they put in the work, and they went and made it happen. They imposed their will. They may not use that terminology, I imposed my will on it, you know, because it's not easy and it doesn't happen overnight and you you know, you fail and try and you fail again, and you fail better and, you know, it's just this ever process, but we all have that power, and uh, it starts with the mind. Our mind is our greatest enemy as well as our greatest strength, and it's how you train it. And it's um, something I believed my whole life, and I didn't really know how to articulate it until later in life. And it's something that's been shown to be true to me, you know, the more with the more successful people that I sit down with. Um, it really does start with the mind and the belief. And uh, with my guest today, Dave, you know, he had the belief that he could be superhuman and he worked his ass off to make it happen. And he's doing some amazing things and he's helping people along the way. And uh, yeah, man, it just made me really think about, uh, you know, what he's doing and, and how it relates to me. And in that same context of being superhuman, I feel like that's my mission out. You know, my mission as well is to be superhuman in that regard of of health and and fitness and and uh and how to age gracefully and and just be our optimal self and that's that's what how i'm trying to be superhuman um, while i can't be wolverine and heal myself i can definitely age gracefully so that was uh a very heavy takeaway you know that I was thinking about on the car ride home because I drove down. So I'm in St. Louis. He's actually in the Nashville area. I drove down one morning and we sat down and we talked and I got in the car and I drove back. So it was a five hour drive there and a five hour drive home. So 10 hours in the car gives you some time to think about 
and uh and really marinate on a conversation and an experience so these were some of my thoughts this is a little bit of a longer intro for you guys this morning uh or today uh hopefully you guys didn't skip through it but we are going to get to our guest guys i'm sitting down with the iron tamer david whitley So let me ask you this. Uh, when was the first time you actually, or did you start, so you started with phone books before cards? Around the same time I was doing, but I started with both of them. Doing them both. Okay. Okay. So what, what got you into being a strong man? Um, the long version of the story starts when I was a kid. Yeah. Let's go over there. Yeah. I was uh, overweight, had a horrible, horrible stutter. And I would get called on by the teachers, and I would start stuttering, and it was just this this, yeah. this really bad experience. And then the the other kids, of course, would make fun of me and, and laugh at me and pick on me and all that kind of kids stuff. Kids are assholes, dude. Totally. Um, and and it was even worse then because we're talking in the you know the late seventies. Yeah, it wasn't the PC area. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> era rather. Yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> um, I but I'm also extroverted. Okay. So. I took it upon myself to start controlling the negative attention that I was getting by being disruptive and stuff. You know? no. So I was nothing really terrible, you know, but just generally being a little disruptive. And like in class? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, because, you know, if, I can, if I'm going to be in a fight, I'm going to hit first kind of thing, right? Yeah. Is, was my mentality at the time. And because of all that, I didn't have a whole lot of close friends or anything, but I got fascinated with the world of fantasy and science fiction and comic books and that kind of stuff. Then I saw... Um, there were all the cartoons and stuff, and I really identified with the Hulk. The Hulk? Because he was huge, he was invincible, he was super strong, and he was fueled by that rage, right? Yeah. And so my comic book life, I really identified with him. And then um, the first switch that flipped for me was seeing Lou Ferrigno on TV. Yeah. Playing the Hulk. Playing the Hulk, yeah. Because before that, it was just like this imaginary make-believe thing. But then seeing him on TV, I knew that that wasn't a costume and it wasn't a special effect. It was a guy in makeup. Now, right. obviously he had on a you know, prosthetic uh, forehead and wig and all that, but he was painted green and that was really him. That was his body. That was his body. 100%. That was very different for the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> it's not, you know, obviously it wasn't like it is now where, um, strength sports and bodybuilding that kind of stuff are just so mainstream now you know there's this thing on the history channel now that all these strongman competitors are doing the strongest men in history yeah which is interesting because the other day i saw an episode a clip from an episode where they were trying to rip a deck of cards and it was laughable at how poorly they did really yeah <laughs> one, one guy brian shaw stopped because it was hurting his hand he was afraid he's going to cut himself and then the other three, I think the fastest time that anybody did it was in like a minute, 15, minute and a half. Oh, wow. And I'm looking at them while they're doing it, and the cards that they're using, I'm like, I can rip those same cards, not just in half, but into quarters or eighths in less than a minute. So am I stronger than these guys? Well, at that particular feat, yeah. At the other stuff, no. Uh, but it's all a matter of them knowing what they're doing. So um, anyway. There's a lot of technique there. Yeah. We'll get to that. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I, I saw Ferrigno on television, and um, my habit back then was we would get these Sunday papers, which at the time seemed like huge, right? 
And yeah. I know now they're probably like this because I was a kid. But I would take the comics out and spread them out on the table and go through and read the comics. Well, after seeing um, Ferrigno on television, Sunday paper came and I spread the stuff out on the table and my mom came in and I had the classified spread out. And she's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm looking for gamma radiation. <laughs> because at like eight years old, I didn't know what else to do. You yeah, know, you but, don't know the But difference. there's a guy on TV and he's the Hulk, so, you know. I'm going to do what he did. Yeah, I'm going to do what he did. Oh, 100%. And, and in a pre-Google world, it was hard to find gamma radiation, you know. And, <laughs> and, uh, like I couldn't even find so much as a radioactive spider, you know, nothing like that. <sighs> it's tough times, dude. Yeah, so I kind of let it go. These kids today, they just don't know. So I kind of <laughs> let the idea go. And then um, not too long after that, I can't really say how long it was because, you know, it's childhood and memories are, are strange. Um, oh, I, saw, I saw Ferrigno on television again in Pump and Iron. Okay. And so you had Schwarzenegger and Franco Colombo and all of those guys yeah. from that era. That's a great documentary. It really is. And so there were the training sequences. And I'm like, I'm just enthralled by it. These huge guys, and they're lifting these massive weights. And so then there was another switch. Okay, the way to be able to pick up heavy stuff is by picking up heavy stuff, right? Yeah. So I got a set of weights for the Christmas that year. That started me um, doing strength. How old were you at that time? Nine or ten, somewhere around in there. Okay. Yeah. And so I... Um, so you've been doing this for 40-plus years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so... Um, I was off and on through high school, played football, and everything was kind of bodybuilding methodology because that was the only thing that I could really find in magazines and books and all yeah, that Yeah, that's kind of all stuff. that was out at that time. In the early 80s, yeah. yeah. And then um, in my 20s, I became a professional musician and kind of let all that lifestyle stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. What would you play? What'd you I play? played guitar. Okay. Yeah. So were you like in a band or were you just like a one-man show? I was in several bands. I was in, in um, my, the favorite thing I ever did was a rock band that I played with in college, and we would play in little bars about the size of this room you know yeah it's and the cool thing is um the guys that i played with them we all are still in touch and usually about once a year we'll get together and play this old dive bar in our old college town oh nice which is fun yeah um, that's cool to still be doing it 30 years later i mean how many how many people have friends for that long like you hope to have friends for that sure. long you know what i mean even, sure. even if it's just like one time you know you yeah. guys get together and just kind of relive the yeah when we get together and start years. playing it's it's magical it's fun you know yeah and um and now there's no pressure because we're not trying to make trying a to living make it. It. yeah right. we're just getting together and having fun but then in my um early 30s i got back into lifting again late 20s early 30s somewhere around in there and i was still kind of doing the same sort of stuff and then um i got turned on to uh the kettlebell world okay the rkc stuff yeah and, very early days yeah very early days i was at the either third or fourth rkc certification okay ever and for the listeners, we tell them what RKC means. Sure, RKC um, was the the branding that came after Pavel Sotsilin wrote a book called The Russian Kettlebell Challenge, which is RKC. And RKC certification was Russian Kettlebell certified, and it right. was um, under the umbrella of a parent company called Dragon Door, which published all the books at the time. Okay, and it's, was that so? That was, was that Pavel and somebody else who put that together? John Duquesne. John Duquesne. John Duquesne was the um, publisher of uh, Dragon Door. He's the Okay. Dragon Door is his company. So the two of those guys got together and essentially created a, a movement. The um, kettlebells are pretty mainstream now, you know, because 16, 17 years, almost 20 years later. Yeah, because of the work that they did then. And, you know, because back when I was first getting into it, I went on uh, Yahoo and searched kettlebells. You know, because that's back before Google was happening. Yeah. It's back before there was a YouTube. Mm -hmm. And there was maybe... 
a dozen different results that would pop up, and it all led back to Dragon Door. Okay. And I actually had a, a, a friend who knew that I lifted, and he had bought a 16-kilo kettlebell and a VHS instructional tape that um, of the original RKC um, material. And he loaned it to me, and I went out and played around with it a little bit, and it was a... Uh, it was a red pill, blue pill moment for me. I'm like, really? I can either ignore this and pretend it didn't happen, or once I catch my breath, I can, I can pursue it. Yeah. And I decided to pursue it, went to certification, and um, started doing that as my, my job, as my way of earning a living was teaching other people. So through that, I met a few other people, Bud Jeffries, who was instrumental in it, because he turned me on to feats of strength from a guy named Dennis Rogers. Okay. Um, Dennis has been on Oprah, Jimmy Kimmel, David Letterman, like all these shows okay, years yeah, ago. Everywhere. He's been he's been seen by more people as a strong man than anybody else in history, I would imagine, what oh. with all the, the media coverage that he's got. <clears throat> and Bud, um, who's a uh, an ox of a human being anyway, um, I interviewed him for my website. And this is before podcasts. So what I was doing with the website is I would do the interview, I would edit it down, I would burn it onto an audio CD and mail it out to my list, right? Oh. And so I would always ask guests that I was interviewing if they knew other people that would be good guests, you know, to kind of keep the momentum going. And Bud recommended I get in touch with Dennis, which I did. And Dennis sent me a box full of DVDs of him doing various feats of strength, some of which were shows some of which were um, instructional things. And the first thing that I really remember seeing Dennis do um, was this clip. It was him and his brother were in his brother's car and they were driving. It was like an old hot rod. Yeah. And they stopped for some reason. And his brother, who's a car guy, gets out and gets under the hood and he's messing around. He's like, hey, Dennis, go hand me um, that adjustable wrench from the, from the trunk. And Dennis goes around to the trunk, opens it up and takes the wrench out, and looks kind of mischievously and wraps it up. Oh. and bends the wrench <laughs> oh, and takes it and gives it and to gives his it brother. To and I'm like, wait, what did I just see? You know, because Dennis is 5'8", 160 pounds. Oh, really? Yeah. And, I've, I've never seen him before, yeah, so he, he's not like a massively mm, big guy. No, no, no. Very and, unassumingly and, yeah, strong. Like, if you saw him walk in the room, you would never think he was the strongest guy in the room, but he is. Oh, wow. Um, for what he does, anyway. And so I saw that, and it just, I'm like, what the hell am I looking at here? Yeah. This guy bent a wrench. You know, it would have blew my mind in that instant. Yeah, and so um, I had I had set up the interview, and Dennis had sent me this stuff to see what he was about. And um, he said, if you ever want to learn how to do any of this stuff, just let me know. And I took him up on it. And that was in probably 2007, 2008, something like that. Okay. And Yeah, probably 2007. And here we are. 2019 and Dennis started doing workshops under the the branding of Old Time Strongman University and I started helping him out with that stuff and now he's president and I'm vice president and and we're looking at various different ways to reach more people rather than just having 15 or 20 people in a workshop yeah um, how can we get this stuff into into the hands and minds of more people because the really interesting thing about it sure Feats of strength are fantastic for just getting stronger. Yeah. Or if you want to learn how to, say, rip a deck of cards so that you can, you know, go to a party and be like, hey, everybody, check out what I can do. You yeah. Know? Um, that's awesome. But if you dig a little bit deeper, and this is the, the path that I went on that wound up 
with the book Superhuman You and with the subject of what I talk about when I do corporate or college or school shows, um, the mighty Adam, who will, I can talk for days about, um, was a vaudeville-era strongman who died in the 1970s. Um, did phenomenal feats of strength, biting nails and chains in half, pulling things with his hair. Stop. Oh, wow. Yeah, just amazing where's, stuff. Where's he from? He was born in Poland. Okay. And he immigrated to the States in the early, early 1900s. He died in 1977 at the age of 83. Okay. Um, fascinating guy. There's a book. If you, It's out of print now, but there's a book called um, The Spiritual Journey of Joseph Greenstein, The Mighty Adam. If you can find that for less than $100, snatch it up. Oh, that's a steal it's, then. It's huh? an amazing book. Um, so he had a, a protege called Slim the Hammer Man, a guy named Lawrence Farm, and his station name was Slim the Hammer Man. He's okay. in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, just turned 85 this year. Okay. Still an incredibly strong guy. He's like 6'5 and 200 pounds, big, big, massive guy. And you shake his hand, it's like putting your hand in a vice that smiles back at you. <laughs> um, and, and he was, you know, back in the 50s and 60s, he was a tough guy too. He would... He would just assume punch you in the face is talk to you, you know, just oh, depending really? on how you interacted with him. He's mellowed out some since he's gotten older. Anyway, he was Dennis's <laughs> primary mentor in, in putting together shows and feats of strength and developing that creativity and all that. So all three of those guys, I talk about this when I do shows. Um, the Mighty Adam, there's a quote from his book that says, Never inhibit yourself by the seemingly impossible. If you think that you're strong, then you are. Okay. I read that on your website. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's powerful, man. That is so powerful. And then the quote from Slim that supports that is, you already have the power inside you. You can't access it because of the fear. How are you going to get to it? Yeah. That's, so that's all you have to do is figure out how to get past the fear to access the power. And then when I very first started training with Dennis, he says, you must remove all doubt and limitation from your mind because your mind controls your body. Yeah, 100%. So all of that got me thinking about what... If I want to be superhuman, and I did, what did I need to do to think like a superhuman? And so I started studying how the mind works from a very practical, hands-on, day-to-day, not like a psychology degree, which is fine. I didn't want to be a therapist. I wanted to be superhuman. Mm -hmm. And so that took me down the path of guys like Napoleon Hill with the quote of whatever the mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. Um, Bob Proctor, my friend, Joe Vitale. I don't know if you know Dr. Joe, Joe Vitale. Joe Vitale. That name sounds... He was in the movie The Secret. Okay. And he's yeah. written probably 80-something books. Yeah, on... I'm sure I've listened to him on... Very... Has he done, like, Tim Ferriss' podcast? I don't know if he's done Tim Ferriss' podcast. He was on... I feel like I've listened to him on somebody's podcast, Probably. Though. He was on London Real not too long ago. Okay. Um, but so is it is it his message essentially, like, the power of the mind and the law of attraction, mm -hmm. though? Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, he was, he's... Uh, well, he was in The Secret, so which was all about the law right, of Right, and I, I, I did watch that. Yeah, and he's also one of the guys who is very forthcoming and upfront saying, hey, if you watch The Secret and you think that the stuff isn't working, it's not that it doesn't work, it's that you're leaving the action part out of attraction. Oh, action is, <clears throat> so many people will just want to sit back and think about things mm -hmm. and not put in the work, but like the work will reveal more opportunity, mm -hmm. and it just, it seems like magic, but it's, it's, it's the things that you did prior. Sure, sure, and sitting around thinking about it will set you up to take whatever action you need to take 100%. and when that inspired action hits you when that idea hits you that is maybe not even obviously something that's going to get you there but it sounds like something crazy acting on that is 
accepting whatever you've you've tried to attract into your life in the first place because if you reject that then you're sending out the message of hey i really really want to attract this thing i can imagine myself being and doing the stuff that would be associated with that oh here's this opportunity oh no that can't really be it i'm just going to sit over here and think about it well then i didn't get the thing that i wanted so it doesn't work when actually it's like if you're like really hungry and i bring you a plate with a bunch of food on it you're like no 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 no. i'm gonna i'm just gonna like imagine my way through this right here's your food dude right you know take it eat it or even a better way of thinking about that would be like hey i'm really hungry i can just imagine eating cheeseburgers and i come in and say hey you want to go grab a burger with me (laughs) no 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 i'm gonna wait for my burger to show up here right when the inspired action would be get in my car and let's go and i'm going to show you a great burger right so it's just a matter of being able to recognize that so that was um that was the big thing for me was making the connection between the guys who I was studying their mental approach. And there's, there's tons more. It's Wallace Waddles. The, my f- current favorite is a guy named Neville Goddard, which if people don't know who Neville is. Yeah, I'm not familiar. Tell me um, about him. There are, there's no video footage of him in existence that I've been able to find yet. But he wrote like 10 or 11 books. And there's literally hundreds of recorded lectures where it sounds like someone just set up a cassette recorder in a room with him. And just told him and, to go. And, well, and he was just speaking to a crowd, and they just happened to record that. And he, he died in 71 or 72. So he's been gone a while. And so you imagine the technology that existed in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And prior to that, to be able to capture what he was saying. Yeah. And that's the quality of the recordings that you get. But the message is gold. So what's, what's he speaking about in particular? So the mind or, like, what's his primary... If you message. summed up, if you summed up Neville in one phrase, it would be imagination creates reality. Okay. Yeah. And the idea being that, like, if we look around this area that we're sitting in right now, n- nothing that we can look at—the cameras, the table, the coffee cups, our headsets—us—we all had to be pictured in someone's imagination first. Yeah. Before we could be made into a physical reality. Yeah, 100%, man. I mean, if you can imagine something, if you can think of it, if you can conceive it, 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 may, it may not be easy, and it may take a lot of work, and it might not happen today, um, but it can come to, like, reality. It yeah. really can. Or it might be easy, and it might just show up. You know, it That's just, true, it too. It just kind of depends on what the thing is and how you're tuned into it. And I talk about this in the book, Superhuman You. Um, one of the things that really locked it into place, the the – the mind approach that I was studying with those guys and the physical approach that I was um, pursuing with feats of strength was we hear a lot about how athletes, high-level athletes, will visualize themselves doing whatever their event is. And there's been studies, I can't quote the studies where they came from, but there's been studies where they hook, hook the brains up to um, – measure brain waves and had them imagining and and the muscles as well had them imagine their event and the brain is firing the message to the muscles to do whatever the event is as if they were doing the actual event oh yeah so the subconscious mind doesn't make a distinction between something that is vividly imagined and something that's happening in 3d reality so i took that to heart and i was working at the time on a particular piece of steel that i wanted to bend um, the details aren't really that relevant right now um, for this conversation, but it's a company called Iron Mind makes the thing um, a, a lot of products for grip training and bending and that sort of stuff. And they have something called a red nail. It's actually just a steel bar that's seven inches long and five sixteenths inch in diameter. Okay. 
And if you can bend that under these certain conditions that they've laid forth, you get your name put on this list of certified red nail benders. I decided I wanted to do that. And so I was training intelligently, progressively, physically doing the things that I needed to do. But I was also vividly imagining the moment of certification. And um, I had a group of people, but I didn't know who they were. They were just like shapes. And they were all kind of sitting in a semicircle around me. And I did the bend and I got it done in less than 30 seconds in my imagination. So I was just rehearsing this and I would fall asleep in this. And there was actually a couple of times. This is, this is when I knew that, that there was genuine validity to my experience. There was twice that I was just relaxing and kind of in a meditative state and just going through that scene over and over. And I snapped myself out of the meditative state because I started sneezing from the imaginary chalk that I was using. Oh, wow. So, like, I was chalk up my hands and clap them, and it would make a cloud of dust. Yeah. And twice, that chalk made me sneeze. You reacted. I'm like, oh, so wow. that's how deep into that imaginal act I was going. Um, then when the time finally came, it actually happened exactly, almost exactly the way I laid it out. We were doing an old-time Strongman University at a gym that I used to own. And so we had all of the attendees were sitting there, and we decided that um, – Part of it was the scheduling. I had to have a referee come in and officiate everything. We decided that the very first thing we were going to do was my red nail certification and get that done. It was kind of set the the tone of success for everyone for the workshop and all that. And so the video is on YouTube now. Um, You can see I'm set up. I do the bend. There's 15 or 20 people sitting in chairs in the same orientation. One of those people was my mentor, Dennis Rogers. And really the only thing that was different from the video and the actual physical experience of it from my imagination when I was practicing it was it took me 17 seconds instead of less than 30. Okay. Yeah, man, so, that's powerful. Yeah, so that was that convinced me that pretty much anything that I want to accomplish starts in the imagination. And, and actually, I found Neville after that. Oh. And so it's like I was ready to... Like you already knew it, but now like the information is kind of validating it. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like like I, I knew it was a thing, but it was kind of scattered all over the place. And then I found Neville and it was like, well, it's this and this and this and this. And these are the principles that guide this. And I'm like, oh, this guy's already summarized everything. Yeah. So it shortened that learning curve and made it something that, that um, is very repeatable now. Because I feel like I kind of accidentally stumbled across it. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'll just go imagine myself doing it, you know. Yeah, well, you found a process that works. Yeah. Yeah, and like the process, and that's the beauty about getting better with anything is like there's a process there. And I found, I'm so fascinated with the mind. Um, I found that like your mind is both like your biggest strength, but also like your biggest inhibitor mm-hmm. if, you, if you let it be. You know what I mean? Because you have that little voice, like it'll tell you to quit. It'll tell you to be like all this negativity. It's impossible. Why are you doing this? Like you're, oh, or especially, I'm sure in your training, you're pushing yourself and like you have this voice in your mind that's saying like, why are you doing this? You're about to die. You need to stop. (laughs) But it's a lie. Like it's not true. And then once you break past that barrier, then you really understand like what your true like possible, like capabilities are, like what's really possible. And then the, I mean, the sky's the limit. My approach on training has, I used to be very much like that about how hard can I push it yeah. and how far can I take this one thing. But my approach on training has changed a lot in the past few years, um, primarily because of a good friend of mine named Adam Glass, okay. um, who's one of the strongest people in history. Just, he's an amazing guy. But he was talking to me about a training approach. 
um, rather than seeking a limit and finding it and breaking yourself. Because if you're if you truly hit the limit, if you truly go past your limit, truly, yeah, then something broke. It mm-hmm. has to by definition. Yeah. If you think you hit a limit and nothing broke, then it was a perceived limit, not an actual limit. Right. It's a very important distinction there. And so um, he explained to me a process that he uses, um, which involves asking the body questions in a particular way and how the body responds, Ooh. a biofeedback approach, which is really fascinating, but it would take a long time to explain it. Um, but the the main idea being... What if instead of making everything as hard as it can be and then breaking yourself and then even something that was easy is now difficult? Like we're just sitting here in chairs right now and it's comfortable. Right. But if, say, we went and uh, squatted or deadlifted and and went past our actual physical limit and blew out a disc, sitting in a chair the way we are right now would be a painful experience. Absolutely. So, right? So there's this, this circle of comfort zone around us that if we actually hit the limit is going to contract until even things that were very easy become difficult right. because you're chasing that difficulty. What if instead of chasing that difficulty, we just make everything as easy as we can? Meaning? Meaning what's the minimum effective dose mm. of whatever physical thing that I'm going to do that will be a step in the direction I want to go today. Got so it. rather than, um, ripping cards until my hands bleed and coming back in two weeks and hoping I can do it again. What if I just rip one or two decks and stop before I ever even get tired and just do that consistently and allow the consistency over time to take what was once the comfort zone and expand it to the point that it engulfs the old limit without ever having to go near the limit. Oh yeah, 100%. That's definitely a much um, smarter approach. It is. That reminds. So to me, that sounds. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with greasing the groove. Is that? Is, oh sure. Is that similar concept? Absolutely. Or, okay. Absolutely. That and that was going back to the RKC and Pavel and, and my involvement with with all of that. I was um, so enamored of that particular organization at the time that. I just kept showing up, and they started giving me responsibilities. And, yeah. And I, um, up until about three or four years ago, I was one of their master instructors and taught at the certifications. Right, yeah. I saw you were the master instructor with Strong First. Yeah. So, um, Pavel, in those early books in the RKC era of things, talked about treating training as a practice and greasing the groove um, to get that neurological strength. And a couple things happened there. One... Um, nervous system output for strength will increase strength without necessarily making you bigger. Right. Which for a lot of people is desirable. Some people want to be strong but not big. Yeah. And the market that he was going for with that idea was weight class athletes and people who have uh, tactical jobs like law enforcement and uh, yeah, like military, military and stuff. You know? Yeah. Because if, if you're a military guy who needs to be hard to be seen, yeah. walking around at 240, it's gonna be tough. It's gonna, yeah, yeah. You know, it's much better to be, you know, five nine and 160 pounds. You can blend in anywhere, that kind of thing, right? right? And still be fast and agile and, and strong and strong, and all those yeah. Things. So introducing the idea of training as a practice, and that was sort of the greasing the groove kind of thing. The other thing that happens with that is, especially if your your practice is 
of a higher intensity and what I mean by intensity is the actual scientific definition percentage of one rep max not okay. not uh, or percentage of a given thing right so if it's yeah not like if, a perceived intensity yeah not like how hard you're trying right but like what the actual math says so if you can if you can lift 100 pounds one time but not two and you do all your practice with 70 pounds you're operating at 70 percent intensity right is the simplest way to do that and that can be distance that can be number of reps but that's just kind of the excuse me the the quick um definition of that so i started training at a lower intensity not to failure with more frequency yeah and um in addition to the neurological efficiency of practice like that because i was a musician i played the guitar i understood how to practice yeah i was a martial artist i understood what practice meant it didn't mean go until you're exhausted it meant stop before you get tired right because if you practice sloppy you just get more efficient at being sloppy 100 percent, yeah and so um applying that to physical training made a lot of sense and as I was learning more about the old-time lifters like Arthur Saxon, Sig Klein, Eugene Sandow, um, Herman Gerner, guys who lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s, who were doing these phenomenal feats of strength and studying how they actually trained and talking to Dennis and talking to Slim and studying how people who were actually doing it, like being able to observe them in real time, how they actually did it, it was all the same thing. Very, very rarely would they redline it. And if you think about it from a standpoint of a performing strongman, your job is to do these feats of strength. So if you're a high-intensity guy and you go in the gym and it's squat day or whatever and you just completely obliterate yourself and you need to lay around and drink protein shakes and eat steaks for three days to be able to comfortably get up and down from the toilet or walk a flight of steps, that works and you can get big and strong that way. But if it was your job and it's like, okay, I've got a show today, I've got a show the day after tomorrow, and I've got two shows the following day, yeah, I'm not going to go in and in my own training attempt to push myself past the limit because I've got to do it again tomorrow. Right. That wouldn't be effective or, no. or efficient at all. No, it's not effective or efficient at all. And, you know, if you're, if you're doing something like I've done multiple shows in the same week. I did the uh, uh, county fair last year and i did six shows in three days outdoors in the tennessee heat in the oh, summertime yeah. and i'm like i don't need to do anything else i am good right now yeah that intensity or that uh that humidity alone sure. will take it out of you man. sure and so um learning that strength is a practice and it's a skill that can be developed along that that very naturally progressed into okay if it's a practice how can i make the practice easier How can I find the parts that are challenging to me and figure out a way to make them easier? Because I believe, for me, the biggest compliment you could pay me as a strength performer is to come up to me and after I do something and say, man, you made that look easy. Yeah, and you do. You, well, thank you. I, I mean, you're speaking and you're you're bending things while you're speaking. Well, and that's that's part of the training, too, <laughs> is I have to be able to talk to a group of people the same way I'm talking to you right now with a heart rate at 155 beats a minute and act like nothing's going on. Right. You know, because it, just because I'm making the feats as easy as possible doesn't mean they're easy. Absolutely. So if I'm up there bending a particularly gnarly piece of steel, um, I'm, my physiology same as anybody else. My heart rate's going to spike and, and everything that goes along with, you know, yeah, doing a, a, 
a hard effort for 20 or 30 seconds or even longer if it's a if it's a more involved feat um, then I have to immediately act like nothing happened right and go right back to speaking go right back to speaking and so um, actually part of my personal practice is doing stuff to get my heart rate up and then rehearsing my speech okay. with my heart rate high yeah that's a good move and because the idea being that if I can if I can at a, say a heart rate of 155 or 160, um, which theoretically should almost kill a man my age because I'm turning 50 this year, you know, so my heart's younger than the rest of me, I think. Oh, absolutely. Um, I should be able to, if I can, if I can talk as calmly as I'm talking now with my heart rate at 150 or 160, then I, and I can do that for an extended period of time, keep my heart rate there and talk and practice speaking and doing feats with an accelerated heart rate that way. Then when it's actually showtime, and I know that the feats that I'm doing in a show are probably not quite as difficult as what I'm doing in my training. Yeah. But they're still difficult enough that the average person isn't going to be able to do them. Right. Um, then I'm able to concentrate on delivering my message. I'm able to concentrate on how I look while I'm doing the feats. I'm able to concentrate on the reaction of any specific audience member because I can cue in on somebody and I might make slight alterations in what I'm doing based on someone's reaction to try to um, relate to everybody a little bit more. Because there's, in, when you're looking out at the crowd, some people are just sitting there staring at you like dead fish. Yeah. Some people really get into it. And like, I'll do feats and I'll see them start to have these physical reactions. I'm going to cue off those people that are having those physical reactions. Because if I'm getting them to react, then there's like a spillover into the rest of the audience. Right. It's that so, energy, man. Mm -hmm. And so... Being able to do that is very important for me as a professional because I want to be able to deliver the maximum experience for the audience member. Yeah. And if I'm up there and I do something that's really difficult and I'm huffing and puffing, I'm like, guys, I got to sit down, drink some water, give me a couple of minutes, just talk amongst yourselves. Um, you don't get invited back if you do that kind of stuff. Right, right yeah. And, I'll, and more important than that, they don't get the message. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, that's a part of the allure. That's a part of, like, your mythology, if you will. You know what I mean? Like, people see you, and they're like, yeah, you're an old-time strongman, but, I mean, t you are superhuman now, mm -hmm. right? You know what I mean? And I think it's funny because, like, as we're talking, like, you've mentioned how it's just simply, like, it's, it's a practice, mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a skill that mm -hmm. you've developed slowly over time. But so many people are quick to say, like, oh, you're talented. You're born with that. You know what I mean? Like, they will just say, you're, you're superhuman. Like, I could never do that. And they'll discredit themselves. Well, and, and, when the, and the more they say that, the writer they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the mind leads the way. Absolutely. Yeah, man. But, I mean, so you're, you're essentially, you get used to training yourself, putting your, like, at, at a certain, you, like, you normalize a certain level of intensity. So that way, when you, when you perform, like, you, you're at your best when you do that. It's a really, really good description of it. Normalizing a certain level of intensity. I never thought of it in those terms before. But, yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Nice, nice. So what's, you, you actually alluded to earlier, you said your, your training's changed a whole lot these days compared mm -hmm. to, so what's, what's training look like for you now? Um, a year and a half ago, prior to that, I, since 2008, nine, somewhere around in there, I had owned a gym. I had been in the gym business. I was teaching and training mm -hmm. clients. And so I would go to the gym and in between classes or individual sessions with people, I would have all this time and I could just literally spend two or three hours a day 
leisurely working on things if I wanted to yeah. or not leisurely working on them, you know. Um, then last July, yeah, it's been a little, a little bit over a year now, I decided to get out of the gym business. Um, my wife was pregnant. Our son was due in October. And I wanted to move my income generating stuff away from anywhere else except my home as much as I possibly could. And I still travel and do shows. Um, I was in Utah last week. I'm going to Europe next week. Right. Um, but I don't have to get up and be somewhere at 8 o'clock and then don't get home until 5 in the evening and spend 30 minutes with my son before he goes to bed, that kind of stuff. So my right. wife and I, she's a photographer. We both are at home with him all the time. We don't have to put him in daycare or anything like that. And those are decisions that we made um, because that's how we wanted our life to be. Yeah. Um, so I got out of the gym business a little over a year ago and then he was born and anyone who has children knows that he's my first and uh, almost certainly going to be my only child. Um, there's this radical shift in how you perceive time. Yes. Because there's this devotion that has to happen to, to take care of the child. And when they're really young, they're on their own schedule. Oh, yeah. And sleep is, is a precious thing, and time is a precious thing. And so I wound up um, not training very much, just like the absolute bare minimum of practice that I could do to keep my feet sharp. Okay. So that when it came time to go do a show, I wouldn't get up there and be like, I'm going to not rip this deck of cards <laughs> in half kind of thing, you know? Yeah, so essentially doing like skill work just yeah, to maintain. Yeah, skill work just to, just to keep keep the skill where it needed to be right and then realized that I was uh I was putting on some pounds and I was kind of achy when I was moving around because yeah. I wasn't moving around kind of stuff and oh, so I, I'm yeah. like okay how can I how can I use this minimalist approach to uh to start getting back into a condition that I want to be in because I took several months off to just be home and do that and I'm like okay February rolled around he was born in October and first first big show I've got I'm getting on a plane and going to Europe so oh, it was man. from I'm home all the time to now I'm in Europe, jet lagged. Yeah, shocked to the system. Yeah, shocked to the system. So I actually had to prepare physically to be able to endure that kind of thing. And so I, I set up a an experimental program that actually turned into a product. Okay. Um, I'm like, what's the minimum that I can get away? I didn't want to do a kettlebell thing because when I've done so much of that, that when I started up, I'm like, I'm going to do this kettlebell thing, and I know it works because I've done it before, and I'm going to do this. And I'm like, nah, again? I'm going to do that again? No. And I knew based on that emotional response that I was having that I wasn't going to stick to it. Yeah, it didn't excite you. It just it didn't, it didn't resonate with me, right? Yeah. So what can I do? So I started um, blocking out time and using density training, which is an amount of work done in a given period of time. We were talking about intensity earlier. Yeah. The, the other two variables are volume, which is how much work you're doing, mm -hmm. and then density is how much work are you doing in a given period of time. So if we have a 15-minute block and you do 50 reps of a particular exercise today, and then next week you do 55 reps of the same exercise in the same period of time, you've had an increase in that density. Uh, okay. And likewise, if you it took you 15 minutes to get 50 today, and next week you get 50 in 13 and a half minutes, there's also a compression of density there. It's the amount of work done in a given period of time. Okay. And I decided I'm just going to do this with a single dumbbell and see what I can do for that conditioning aspect. Because I was also still practicing all the feats that I do, and there's mm -hmm. a certain amount of time that's – 
dedicated to that just as if you were a musician. Yeah, it's just daily practice. Yeah, and you know, like if you're a if you're a concert pianist or a, a that kind of thing, and you miss a few days of practice, no one in the audience might know that you're off your game just a little bit, but you'll know while you're playing it. And it's the yeah. difference between God, I hope I get through this, and I'm really delivering something here right you know? and i didn't i don't ever want to be in the dear god i hope i get through this category when i'm in front of a group of people yeah because that's not fair to them that's right. that's my professional standard so i started doing this conditioning work with the single dumbbell and it worked phenomenally and i'm like you know what i should just kind of codify this into a thing and generalize it to make it a instead of a thing that i'm doing for me make it a one size fits most people because there is no one size fits all a hundred percent yeah um but I structured it in such a way that it can be modified to fit just about anybody. And yeah. if you go to theonedumbbellchallenge.com, um, I'm giving away a cheat sheet on mistakes that you're probably making in your training yeah. because I've made them with myself and with clients. And then um, that'll also take you to a page where you can purchase the program itself. Okay. And so um, that was a thing that I went through for several months there and, and got my conditioning back in place. Um, currently my training, what it looks like is mostly feats practice. And I've got a couple of things that are brewing in the back of my mind that I want to do on or around my birthday because it's 50th birthday. Yeah. It's a big and, one. and, um, I had my 30th class reunion a couple of years ago. And from then until now, a couple of those guys, one just last weekend have passed away oh. at age 49, 50, somewhere around in there. And I'm like, there's a lot of perspective. Yeah, there's a lot of people think 50s old, and I used to be one of them when I was like 22. But now I'm like, that's in three months, so I'm. It's not old. 50s not old, no. And and so I'm like, how can 50 year old me top 40 year old me? Yeah, I mean that's the goal: get better as you're yeah, aging. Yeah, yeah. And so it requires intelligent planning. It requires um, thoughtful imagination. Yeah. And because without that clear picture in my mind, I'm not going to get there because I don't know where there is. Right. Are you doing any sort of like mobility work? Sure. Because uh, okay. I've, I've found that's so huge. And um, like the more I study it, I'm, I'm coming across more and more people to where like they'll say, man, and, and for myself, I've even experienced this where like you kind of take a step back from like the classical, like, I don't know, maybe barbell method mm -hmm. or something. And you focus on like a lot of like mobility because mm -hmm. mobility done correctly, like it is strength in your end ranges. So, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, when done correctly like you can get a lot of gains and not really lose any strength if, mm -hmm. if not gain some in, in a fuller capacity and range of motion. Sure. So is that a part of your protocol now? Definitely. Or, yeah? Definitely. I, um, so a few years ago I went through the instructor training for a, a system called original strength, Okay. which uh, was founded by Tim Anderson. And there's a lot of, um, it, it's modeled off, um, infant development physically so it's lay on the back and breathe is where you start okay. and then you start moving the head and moving the limbs around and eventually you're rolling and then crawling yeah it's like these natural human yeah. movements and so the really cool thing is i'm getting to watch my son teach that stuff to me again that's cool one more time so i'll i'll you're learning firsthand from the best pretty much daily i get on the floor and and we do whatever he's doing you know nice. like when he was learning how to roll over and sit up i was right there with him he's learning how to crawl 
I'm on the floor rocking and crawling with him. Oh, you know? nice, nice. And, yeah, and biologically, I bet you're way younger than 50, right? I mean, I've learned, so there's a difference between our chronological mm-hmm. age and our biological age, mm-hmm. right? Have you ever got your biological age tested? I bet you're younger. I haven't, but I would love to. Yeah, yeah. me too. I want to do that too because I'm sure you're younger than 50 biologically. I certainly hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that kind of stuff and feats practice and a little bit of conditioning work because now it's at the point where the conditioning is pretty much where I need it to be. Yeah. And so I just do enough to keep that where it is. Yeah. And um, feet practice because I'm constantly looking for ways to either do more difficult feats and make them look easy or take feats that I'm already doing and make them look so casual that no one knows. I want people to come away from from a show going, I wonder how strong he really is. Yeah, because you just man, see that's such a powerful, um, like, like ambition. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're like, you're like, I want to be the absolute best, and I want people to understand. Like, you want them to, you they. How do I want to say this? Um, like, you just want them to be just amazed and bewildered by what you just mm-hmm. did and how easy you made it look. Like, mm-hmm. that's next level stuff. Well, and if you, if you think about. Um, Say people in the Cirque du Soleil, right? Yeah. Um, I saw um, a Cirque du Soleil show when I was in Vegas about 10 years ago. It was a Chris Angel Cirque du Soleil thing. And these these acrobats were doing these things, and they're in these costumes. And I'm looking at their faces as they're doing these things. And they're smiling. And they have these relaxed kind of passive looks on their faces while they're doing, you know, one-arm handstands yeah. and, and one-arm pull-ups or lifting a grown man overhead and doing this this very graceful delicate move supporting another person overhead kind of stuff and i'm like they're making it look so easy yeah that's that's what's up because here's the thing about making something look easy even if it's not if something's really hard it's it's nearly impossible to make it look easy if something is easy i can make it look as hard as i want to as part of the impact of the drama of a show. Yeah. So I can take a very easy feat and make it look difficult. I can't take a difficult feat and make it look as it make it look easy as easily. Yeah, right. It takes a lot more work to do that for so, sure. So so going back to the idea of if I make everything as easy as possible, even the impossible stuff becomes easy. Yeah, oh, that's powerful. And that's that's how I want it to be. And I realize that that bleeds over into every aspect of life. Because yeah. if we wake up and we're, you know, bitching about how we don't have any money or about how um, just complaining or criticizing about anything, then we're setting ourselves into that vibration to to spot more of that around us and to draw more of that to us. Yeah. And if, you know, if we're thinking life's hard, the struggle is real and all of this other stuff where, you know, we commiserate on stuff. Yeah, I know what you mean, man. That sucks. My life sucks, too, because oh, of this man. thing, you know. Yeah. And then you just wind up in this downward spiral. I'm far more interested in an upward spiral. Yes. Like, what awesome thing is going to happen today? Yes. Or even if something that doesn't appear to be necessarily awesome or positive, there's something in it, that some good that can be mined from it. Yeah. And, and negativity, <clears throat> man, it'll, it'll try to uh, create, like, a group atmosphere, man. Like Absolutely. If somebody's feeling down, they'll say something to you. you got to get away from me with that, man. I had somebody DM me uh, just the other day trying to – I don't know if they're just trying to make themselves feel better or what, but it was some negative stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't deal with that, man. Like, we got to qu- be positive. <laughs> There's a quote I ran across not too long ago from uh, – was it Emmett Fox? I can't remember. I think it was Emmett Fox. And it hit me so hard. It said, criticism – 
is silent self no 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 let me start over criticism is indirect self boasting oh. so if i'm sitting here and i'm looking at you and i'm thinking yeah this guy he blah 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 he doesn't this or he can't that what i'm actually doing is attempting to elevate myself above you yes feeding that ego i'm trying to yeah i'm trying to feed my ego to feel better about some something that i feel lacking about by criticizing you, which makes about as much sense if I don't like my car, if I think it's a junky old beat up car and you're driving a nice car, if I come and smash your windshield and cut your tires, my car doesn't look any better. It's no better than it was. Right. Now yours is just messed up. Yeah. Right? That's the difference between like what I call like a scarcity mindset and a growth mindset. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. people feel like you having something is taken away from them. Yeah. That's not the yeah. case. It's not pie. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's like air, right? If I take a huge, huge breath, does that mean that you're going to miss a breath? No. No. Exactly. No. Yeah, man. It's like it says in the Upanishads, from abundance he took abundance and still abundance remained. 100%. Yeah, man, that's that's really the difference between – there's, from my experience, there's not a successful person out there who lives in that scarcity mindset. Even if they appear to be successful, if they have, like, a lot of money or a lot of whatever – if they're in a scarcity mindset, they can't be successful. Right. Because they're not happy, really. They're they're not. You know, they they maybe solve like one piece of the puzzle, mm -hmm. but it's like they don't those people aren't really happy. Nope. And it takes more than just money to be successful. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Um, so with your training, um, are you doing anything for like recovery, like ice baths or cryo or massage um, or A few years ago, I had the wonderful opportunity to go and spend a week in the mountains with Wim Hof. Yeah, I heard about that. Please and, tell me. And, well, I, I had an ice bath this morning. Okay. So um, I do usually daily breathing exercises along with the mobility work that I'm doing. And for a while, it was daily ice baths. I have, I've kind of gotten away from that. Um, and the reason is it's very difficult to get a good ice bath going in Tennessee in summer. Yeah. I have a... Um, big 23 cubic foot freezer that i bought on craigslist yes. that is outside it's full of water and it's all rusty and nasty looking and i spray painted redneck cryo chamber <laughs> on it because i think that's funny i love it it's full of water and it <laughs> runs on a timer okay. and that water stays right now it's staying at around 40 degrees okay um in the winter time when the outside is colder it'll freeze solid if, yeah so i have to change the timer back to about two hours a day instead of 19 or 20 hours a day but I just unplug that and get in it and sit for however long I want to um, as part of the Wim Hof Method training, which if you ever get a chance to talk to him, he's an amazing guy. Man, he's on the list. He's actually doing something, I think, in California. In October, in yeah. October. I really yeah. want to try to make that. He yeah. was in San Francisco last November, and mm -hmm. I actually happened to be there. I wish I would have like planned better because mm -hmm. I would have 100%. I didn't know he was going to be there whenever I was going to be there. I feel very fortunate that I um, – got connected with his whole tribe when I did, which is about, I guess, four or five years ago. Kind of before he blew up. Before it started blowing up. Before he was on Joe Rogan. Before he yeah. got, got in contact with Tony Robbins. Right. And, and all that stuff. So the instructor training group that I was with, there were about 30 of us in a cabin in Colorado with Wim doing, doing the thing there, you know. And it was the first workshop I went to. There were maybe 50 people there with him and it was a oh, two-day workshop and now this thing that's coming up in california i was looking at it, i think they're in a place that seats like two thousand people yeah they're gigantic yeah now. so so being able to walk up to him shake his hand and uh and talk to him for a few minutes is going to be a very rare commodity that 
oh, I had wow. the luxury of, of being able to do. Yeah, and didn't you carry him up a mountain? I did not carry him up a mountain. We went up a mountain, and um, I took a photo of me holding him. Oh, okay. Um, no, I didn't carry <laughs> him up the mountain. Uh, that's how that's how those stories of legends are born, yeah, dude. Yeah. But but once we were up there, and it was in it was in Colorado, and it was the week before the 2016 elections, because I was there on election night. Okay. And I remember being surprised when I woke up saying, "Really, Trump won." I never saw that coming, but that's a story for another Strange time. Strange times. Strange times, yeah. Um, but we had gone up the mountain the day before, and it was probably between 30 and 35 degrees. And I had on a pair of boots, these boots that I'm wearing actually, and um, a kilt and some shorts under it and a backpack. That's it. And we went up there. And once I got up there, I, I twisted up a horseshoe. Oh, nice. And left it on the mountain. That's but a it perfect was, way to cap off the little the whole experience well my original right plan was to blow up a hot water bottle when i got up there and then we got up there i'm like i don't know that i can do this up here so i'm <laughs> just gonna let that one go yeah was it a 14 or that you that you, like fourteen thousand feet or how high did you guys how i don't high? remember okay it was up there though yeah it was it took probably an hour and a half to to hike the trail to get up there and yeah. there was snow on the ground okay yeah. it wasn't like in a blizzard condition but there was still snow on the ground right. it was a sunny day though so okay. it wasn't that bad yeah, I love Colorado. I love the mountains. And then once we got up there, we found a stream, and we went and did some exercises, putting our hands and feet and face in the water and making a distinction between fear, pain, and cold because those are three completely different things that you'll experience all at the same time, oh. and it all feels like the same thing. So, okay, are you afraid? That's fine. Are you in any danger? No, because there's people around me and, and, and I'll be safe. So you can kind of set the fear aside. Yeah. Then when you get in the cold, like it's already cold outside and you put your hand in moving water. Yeah. You, know, you have to break the ice off the top of it to get in the moving water. Yeah. Um, there's pain involved with that. Oh, yeah. But is it dangerous? No, because I can get out anytime I want to. Right. So now all we're left with is the fear. Yeah. And fear is the mind killer, right? Yeah, it really is, man. And and I believe that it ultimately comes down to get esoteric again. It comes down to there's really only two basic emotions, and really they're just opposite sides of the same coin. You're either in fear or you're in love. Hmm. You're operating from one of those two places. And, okay. and pretty much any emotional response that we can have can be traced back to one of those two root places. Right. And any emotional response that we have can actually be traced back or any situation that we have and our reaction to it can be traced back to either of those. And it's a conscious decision. Do I want to operate from fear or do I want to operate from love? Yeah. So many people operate from fear. Well, we're taught to do that. Yeah. It's scarcity mindset, right? It really is. It really is. But when you, when you can switch over and, and come from that place of love, like mm -hmm. That's um, that's a powerful thing, and even that word because words are so powerful. It's it. Some people are afraid of that word, like it just becomes afraid of love. Yeah, yeah, they really are. Like they just it just they put um, I don't know these weird ideals on it or something. But yeah. like I mean, I don't know, man. Love is this very powerful concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all encompassing. And I uh, think it, I think it really comes down to: Am I strong enough to be vulnerable? Yes. Because if I'm not strong enough to be vulnerable, or if I'm not if I don't feel willing to be vulnerable, now I'm afraid. That's so true. And if I can be vulnerable, I open myself up for the love. And yeah. it can be literally an identical situation. Yeah. Literally the same, the, the one thing's happening, and it's a choice of how do I want to respond to this. 100%. And that takes strength, right? It which, takes strength, and it takes practice. Yeah, which begs the question, what, what is strength? Let me ask you that. What is strength to you? I mean, it can mean so many things. It can mean so many things. I'm glad you did that because I'm, I'm a 
a strong proponent of getting very clear definitions of things that are important to me. Yes. Like success. What is success? What is that? Let's talk about both of those. Well, we'll, do, we'll do success first because I've got a canned response for that. I've okay. got a quote from a guy named Earl Nightingale that sums it up for me. And I, I, I reserve the right to change my definition of it if I find something that works better, but I haven't found it yet. Success, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Okay. So if I know where I'm going and I'm taking steps towards that and the place that I'm going is going to allow me to fully be me and be happy and make the world a better place, that is success. 100%. I can be sitting here um, with no idea where any of it's going to come from. And as long as I know that I have something that I can do that will move me in that direction, even if it's just imagining what it feels like, right. I'm already successful. Yeah, living with a purpose. Yeah. 100%. Living with a purpose and, and identifying with that purpose to the point that I know that I'm taking steps towards it, right? Yes. Um, as far as what is strength, that, that took a little while for me because I like to get definitions that are non-situational non specific, right? Mm -hmm. Because if, like with success, we say, okay, what is financial success? You can rate that in numbers. If What is relationship success? You can describe that in behaviors, right? Yes. Um, but with strength, okay, um, there's the show that's on now. Did, did we talk about this already or was it before we started? Um, it um, might have been before we started. We're talking about on History Channel. Talking about on History Channel, um, The Strongest Men in History or whatever the name of the show is. I haven't actually watched a full episode, but um, I had a clip pop up on YouTube the other day. These four guys, one guy whose name I can't remember, um, and then but he's he's a strong guy. I just I haven't seen him compete. The, okay. the other three guys, Brian Shaw, Eddie Hall, and uh, Nick Best. Oh, the other guy's Robert. So, yeah, he was Org, on or something. He was on Joe Rogan the other yeah. day. Yeah, Orbel or maybe. I feel bad for not. I'm gonna have to go and. We know learn. it's Robert though. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go and learn his name. He was on Joe Rogan. Yeah, he's from Texas. Yeah, he's got this huge beard and he's yeah, like, a big yeah, strong guy. Yeah, yeah, he looks like a guy I'd like to hang out with. Yeah. Awesome guy. But the um, the clip from. It was literally just in the past week. They were at Nick Best's house, and Nick lives in Las Vegas. And the premise of the show is they're going around doing all these different things. Um, they went to Paul Anderson's house, and if you don't know who Paul Anderson is, he's like one of the strongest men in recorded history. He, okay. would, he would casually squat eight or 900 pounds <laughs> in, in dress shoes as part of his, his talk as a, a ministering to youth. Oh, my gosh. Um, Handstand push-ups at a weight of a body weight of like 350 pounds. It's amazing. There's a clip of him doing a one-arm press with 300 pounds for two reps on YouTube. It's stunning how oh, strong wow. he is, and it's it's effortless looking too. So anyway, they're at Nick's house, and Nick brings up that this classic feat of strength is ripping decks of cards in half. And there was a guy back in the old days. I, I don't remember who they said it was that could stack three decks together and rip all of them at the same time. Um, and then these guys start attempting to do this feat and brian shaw four-time world's strongest man yeah i do believe and and i i met him at the arnold classic a few years ago um he wouldn't remember me because he's like hey brian how's it going his wife is like five two and a hundred pounds too i mean yeah. she's a tiny little woman <laughs> um, so it was weird to see them together i bet he's gigantic he's huge um he attempted it and um the started like ripping the skin open on his hand and he's like i'm not going to do this because i don't want to mess my hands up which is fine. You know, yeah. I totally respect that. And the other three guys did it. And uh, Eddie Hall and um, Robert 
yeah. whose name we don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. I um, have to look need it up. to look that one up. Um, I'll do it real yeah, go fast. ahead and look that up. I'll do so, that real fast. So we're not slacking. So that when I do meet him eventually, that I'll you know not be that guy. <laughs> they did it, and it took like two or three minutes or more to for them to do it. And then Nick actually knew what the technique was. Same technique that I use that I learned from Dennis Rogers. And he says you hold it like this, and then you squeeze and you twist. It took him about a minute and a half. Well, I've seen the cards and, and handled enough varying decks of cards mm -hmm. they're not all the same some are very difficult some are incredibly easy but the deck of cards that he ripped i have torn into eighths so you tear it in half then you take that and you tear that in half and then you take that and you tear it in half in less than a minute robert oberst oberst, oberst. yes okay we're there. robert oberst i will never forget that again my <laughs> apologies to robert oberst i have nothing but respect for you it's just that until this show came out i had never seen that's fair yeah yeah he's new to the scene he's anyway new to the scene yeah and of course, I've watched the the documentary about Eddie Hall and the other two guys I met okay. at uh, Arnold a few years ago, or was around them anyway. Yeah. Um, and um, anyway, Nick rips his deck of cards, and he he did really well. You know, for it to be his first attempt to get all the way through a full deck in a minute and a half or a minute, 15 seconds, whatever it was, it was really, really good. But I'm watching him, and I'm like, these guys can deadlift if you put 800 pounds on a bar and say go deadlift that, every one of them could get up and say, here, hold my coffee. I'm going to go pick this up and set it back down. Same as you or me picking up a suitcase. 100%. Yeah. 100%, yeah. And so I'm like, the specificity of that kind of strength really, really was explicitly illustrated in that because these guys are literally the strongest men in the world. And I'm able to do a feat that it – with very little effort that the best of them, it took a minute and a half or a minute, 15 seconds, whatever it was right. to do. I'm like, so it depended on how you want to look at strength for what I do. I'm stronger than them at that particular feat. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to lifting stones or, or whatever their events are, I'm not even going to attempt to do the stuff that they're doing because they're amazing. So all that to say, what is an overarching definition of strength regardless of the subject matter? Because if we're looking at it from a lifting or bending or whatever standpoint like that, or even a running. Yeah, well, I always think of, like, gymnasts. Sure. You know, on the rings and they'll mm -hmm. hold, hold those poses. Like, that's crazy strength. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So the, the definition that I use is strength is the ability to produce or withstand force. Mm. That's because, simple because, and direct. Yeah, it, and it's very obvious in terms of physical stuff. Like, if we take – yeah, let's, let's do something here. If yeah, we take perfect timing for this, yeah, I have no idea how much force it takes to do what I'm about to do. Um, actually, let me do this because I I know this one. This is a sixty penny nail, classic feat of strength for old time strong men, and it takes about two hundred fifty to three hundred pounds of force to bend one of these. Okay. And I've got these leather wraps that I put on them because I don't want this to happen to my palm. Right. right? You want to protect your hand. I want to protect my hand. So I'm going to wrap it up, and I can produce a lot of force, so I'm strong. This can withstand a lot of force, so it also is strong. Yes. So what it comes down to is who's producing the most force. Right. Or, or is my ability to produce force greater than this nail's ability to withstand force? Right. So it comes down to very literally who is stronger, me or the nail. And physically, there's a lot of technique stuff that can be done. Um, but going back to that idea mentally, am I able to mentally put myself in a place that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to bend this. Right. And we hear the, the urban legend stories about the woman lifting the car off the kid, right? Yeah. Um, 
I actually went through a period of time when I was obsessively looking for those kinds of things on the internet, and I found. Let me let me go ahead and bend this, and then we'll talk. <laughs> so it takes about 250 to 300 pounds of force, which isn't that much force really. Like if it were a refrigerator, just about anybody you know can push it across the room, right? Yeah. So to move that much weight is not that difficult. If we put it on a barbell to pick it up off the floor and say a deadlift or squat it, it becomes increasingly more difficult. What makes this feat so difficult is that all of that force has to be translated through the hands and wrists. Yes. And so if you've ever done any kind of martial arts and got yourself found yourself in a wrist lock, I have a sore wrist. I do jujitsu. Sure. My, my wrist sore today. <laughs> sure. Well, you know that the wrist is a fairly delicate thing. Yes. And so we have to have a lot of wrist strength. We have to have a lot of tissue integrity um, in the tendons and the connective tissue and all that. And also we have to be able to exert enough force yeah. through that to be able, and in such a way that all of the force goes into the weakest point. So I love it when I talk, especially with jujitsu guys, about feats of strength because they get it. Yeah. What I'm doing is maximizing my leverage in such a way that I can exert the maximal amount of force into the weakest single point right. of whatever I'm using. Yeah. And that's like a feel thing, right? You feel mm -hmm. where the weakest point is. Mm -hmm. and, that's and, like and, and it can vary. Yeah. So um, I wrap it up like this. I'm going to do this in what's called an overhand style. Okay. I'm just going to. You want to try it? Uh, try it real quick before I do it. I was going to embarrass myself. I just, <laughs> that's so hard. And so I'm just going to bring it in, and you'll see there's a there's – a, And that was already a little bit bent when you handed it to me. <laughs> there's, a, there's a minimal amount of difference between the way I'm holding and the way you held it. You were kind of down here. I'm going to come way up here. So up what here. I'm, I'm going to maximize my leverage this way. Okay. And I just exert that force, and it starts to bend, yeah. right? Yeah. And this is what I'm talking about. I don't want you to know if this is hard or easy. I want to make it look easy regardless. Yeah. And truthfully, this is a fairly easy piece for me to bend. For you, yeah. Um, because I'm sitting down. That's another thing, right? Does that help? It does help. I mean, if you, if you really want to exert a lot of force, you stand up and you get your entire body into it, right? Yeah. So this makes it even more difficult sitting down. No, it does. Because you're, you're eliminating this whole yeah, you can't, strength and power mm -hmm. structure. Yeah. And so then we get it bent down like this. And yeah, so it takes about 250 to 300 pounds of force to bend one of those. That's amazing. That is cool stuff, dude. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's fun stuff. Yeah, man. The, the wrists are weak. It doesn't take very mm -hmm. much pressure to break a wrist. No. No, not at all. No, no, it doesn't. But again, it's, it's, it has to do with alignment, right? So if, I'm, if I have a, a neutral wrist and I'm punching, I can exert a lot of force into that wrist. Right. If I get off that way and do the same force then the, instead of the force traveling up the arm it goes through the wrist that way and yeah and sometimes to give and then bad things happen right yeah <coughs> so what was i going to talk about before i was going to bend this wrench i said we'd come back to it and i lost it um well you said that you knew exactly how much this required right and i that. don't know how much this one takes but yeah. it's it's more than that i know that for sure yeah and so i'm going to wrap it up and and do it as well okay um, this was the feat that made me decide I wanted to be an old-time strongman, seeing Dennis Rogers bend a wrench like this. Specifically a wrench. Specifically a wrench, yeah. Yeah, because you do several different feats, right? Or do you, you have kind of like a handful that are kind of like your go-tos now after trying the different various ones? Sure. There are, there are classic feats that everyone does. Yeah. Like the 60-penny nail. That goes all the way back to vaudeville. Um, if you couldn't bend a 60-penny nail, 
as a strong man back then, you weren't really taken You're not seriously. A strong man. Yeah, you weren't really a strong man. Yeah. Um, bending wrenches is a much more modern thing. Okay. As far as I know, Dennis was the first one to to do that, and um, there are lots of guys that bend wrenches now. I'm gonna see what I can do with this one. Okay. Seated right here. Yeah. Oh See, my goodness. That's obviously a little more difficult than the nail was. Yeah, man, and you're doing it seated, like you said. I mean, that's that's gigantic. Man. I'm going to have to stand up to finish it. Yeah, do what you got to do. Just go right here and use the force of your thighs to help with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, I've been watching you on uh, on Instagram for a while, bending stuff, and, mm -hmm. you know, doing, like, the bent press with the, the kettlebell, and, and you're doing the leverage with, like, yeah. the sledgehammer, and, dude, just you so much strength. You got a pen holder for your desk now. Oh, this is perfect. That's cool. Oh, this is great. Yeah, so there's there's classic feats, <laughs> like the nail. Yeah. This is a very similar feat, but it's more modern because we're using a more modern implement, right? Oh, I love this. So I will, there's a few classic feats that I do, bending a nail, um, bending longer pieces of steel, um, twisting open horseshoes. Yeah. Those are all classic feats. Ripping decks of cards, which we'll, we'll talk about here in a minute. And then other more modern feats that I'll do. Uh, blowing up a hot water bottle. That's a classic one, too. Um, I don't do that very often. Um, mostly because it takes a few minutes to recover the breath from it. Yeah. But um, if I'm doing a show where it's just feats and I'm not really having to talk a whole lot, I'll, I'll include that one very often. Driving a nail through a board with... with uh, with my hand. Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, so those are classic feats that um, lots and lots of guys do, ladies too, lots and lots of people do them. And um, it's very, very cool. Uh, having been a musician, I think of those feats as like classic cover songs. Okay. What can I do and take this and make it more uniquely mine, but you still recognize it that it's a, you know, a Muddy Waters Blues song, right? Yeah. So um, that's the classic feats. And then there are what I would consider signature feats. Like you were talking earlier about pressing weight with one hand and leverage lifting the sledgehammer hammer with the other hand. That, as far as I know, is a feat that I'm um, the first person to do, um, which really is, isn't, uh, it isn't that unique a thing. I just took two things that I was already doing and put them together. Yeah, but that's the creativity, right? Right, yeah. right. And so it's, it's how can I express my personality through feats of strength well i love leverage lifting sledgehammer stuff i love pressing weight overhead yeah so let's put those two things together and the um the cool thing that i figured out is that there are lots of guys who can press more than me there are several guys who can leverage more than me there are very few people who can put both of them together with the same weights that i'm using yeah because it's there's that specificity of practice yeah know? i mean that takes i mean i mean using <clears throat> Both sides of the body, both sides of the brain. Um, I mean, doing two unrelated things. Two unrelated things, yeah, and like just the the control over the body, mm -hmm. and like the, the the thought that keeps coming back to mind um, as we're speaking. Like, you have to really have a lot of like self awareness and be able to like check in with your body mm -hmm. and like listen to your body. That's one of the things that. Uh, like one of the greatest maybe I guess skills that I've gained just through like martial arts and like athletics and different mm -hmm. things like you really learn to become in tune with your body and listen to it mm -hmm. and just the different cues and signals it gives you but to do something like that you really have to be tuned in mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely and and being in tune and listening to the body and actually having a conversation with it rather than an argument yeah 
<laughs> that's that was a big thing for me the mind controls the body the initial thought on that is the mind uh, the body must do whatever the mind tells it to well the body may put up a fight yeah or the body may be like okay i'll do this but i'm gonna break while i'm doing it and yeah. i don't want to be that guy so by learning how to have a conversation with the body um what's happened in my own experience and with people that i've worked with on this too is now i can listen to my body's whispers rather than waiting for it to scream yes yes because if it's whispering hey this is a bad idea or hey you can do a little more yeah that's a much better place to be in than it's screaming oh my god you shouldn't have done that yeah man listen to your first mind like your your body knows trust your intuition don't yeah. don't overthink stuff and then the other feet we were talking about ripping a deck of cards in half this is uh unopened and I'm actually hopefully going to, in the next few days, be done with a, a project. Um, I bought the domain, but there's nothing there. When's the show going to air? Um, this actually might end up airing uh, probably on Thursday, so like the next couple of days. Okay, well, a lot of fire under me. So if, <laughs> if you're listening to this and it's new and, it, and the site isn't up and running yet, then it yeah, will be shortly. Give us a couple of weeks, but yeah. we can still plug it for the people yeah. down the road. Yeah, howtorippadeckofcards.com is, is what the site's going to be. So okay. I'm going to take this deck out, and as a jiu-jitsu guy, you'll really, really appreciate this. I've got the deck of cards. And you can see it's untampered. Yeah, brand new. I pulled the plastic off and opened it up. Um, I hold them like this. And we talked earlier um, before we started recording about how, like, just just feel the yeah, that, edge of that. Yeah, that's sharp, man. Can I mean, right that, that can cut yeah. right into you. Yeah, and that's that's actually what stopped Brian Shaw. He yeah. Was, he was doing it, and he was talking about, I'm about to rip my hand open with this thing. So, um that makes me feel good that you know, I'm able to, to, to do one thing strength-related that Brian Shaw well, didn't want to do. One, but. Yeah. Um, so I hold it this way, and I come in with this hand. Yeah, three, three fingers on that grip. Yeah, three fingers on that, and um, I'm going to talk about this in the instructional bit on the, the new product, but yeah. um, I'm holding it here, right? Yeah. And when I grip, I don't do this. I do this. Oh. So this hand actually functions like a vice. Yes, much different because it puts the pressure differently. Mm -hmm. Because if if I if I crush grip it, then that's going to make the cards do this. Yes. And now it's very difficult to tear them at that at that. Yeah, once in, they start in, to give in that like position, that. Once they go in that position, right? Okay. So I'm wanting to keep them as flat and as square as I can, and I come in with the other hand. Yes. And you see how it starts to form an S. Yes. Now you know from jujitsu if if this part right here is your elbow. Yeah, it's gonna. And I get you in that position, you'll tap. Right. Because if you don't, you'll snap, right? Well, those are only two options. Yep. <laughs> With the elbow, for sure. What yeah. Is it? What is it? Uh, tap, tap, snap, tap or, or nap. nap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm not a jujitsu guy, but I do love that. So I come in from there, and I just exert this force. And you can see it start to open up. Oh, it just up. starts to give. And there we go, just like that, right? Boom. And that's how you rip a deck of cards in half. <sighs> um, <clears throat> like butter. See if I can do this seated. See if I can quarter him seated. Man, you're doing next level stuff right now, now seated. Here's a, here's, a, here's a cool pro tip. It's easier to rip it on the side where it's already been ripped than it is on the side where it was cut from the factory. Okay, that makes so, sense. So if I'm doing this in a training situation, if I want to make it a little easier for my training workout, I'll go this way. Yes. If it's really super easy and I want to make it just incrementally harder, like slapping two and a halfs on the end of the bar. Yeah. I'll go to this side. Yeah, just that change in, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So, so having said that, I'm going to go with the easy way. <laughs> That's fair. And you see the position is almost identical, except I don't have as much. To grab onto. As much room. So I'm down to one finger instead of the two there. Yeah. And so I'm coming into watch right there. Again, I squeeze. It makes that S shape. Yep. And then my index finger slides right past that knuckle. Yeah, and there's it just, it's a shear. It functions like a pair of scissors. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have that, that pivot point. It's yeah. leverage. Yep. Leverage, pivot point, opposing forces. It has no choice. It's all science here. It is. Yeah. It is. So wow, that's dude. what we do with cards right there. That and I'm going to um, very, very soon, it'll be available at howtoripadeckofcards.com. I'm going to have... Um, the basic mechanics of it and how to get started there with that. And then I'm also going to go into several of the more um, intermediate to advanced feats like quartering, ripping into eighths, okay. um, ripping out a notch that's like the size of your thumb. That's cool. Tearing the corner off. So that's the place to go. So um, <coughs> so let's, let's kind of – I want to be respectful of your time. So we're going to sure. wrap this up here shortly. But I want to go because – so we have um, howtoripadeckofcards.com. Mm -hmm. You mentioned another product earlier. The one the one dumbbellchallenge.com. The one dumbbellchallenge.com. Mm -hmm. And then you also gifted us with this awesome book here, Superhuman You. Mm -hmm. um, is this on your website? It's on Amazon. Amazon, okay. And Amazon they, and lulu.com both have those. Perfect. And then you also have your website, right, irontamer.com. My main website is irontamer.com, and it's – it's um, it's set up in such a way to promote me as a as a motivational keynote speaker. Okay, and, yeah. And performing strongman. So if you go there looking for products and stuff, you won't get it. That's kind of the best place to kind of check out your story and uh, maybe book you for speaking. Yeah, if you're interested in booking me for for um, any event that you have, go there and um, there's a little field where you put your name in and and check availability. Yeah. Um, also, social media. Um, my Instagram and Twitter is at Iron Tamer. Yep. My Facebook is Iron Tamer Dave Whitley. And what else is, oh, there's YouTube, which is, if you look Iron Tamer, you'll find me on there too. Okay, so. okay, yeah. That's how I, again, we already talked about it. I probably <clears throat> mentioned it earlier already, I think I did, but Instagram is how I found you. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a small world that we had some mutual acquaintances mm -hmm. and friends. And um, I remember one clip, and it was with your son, where you did this huge ohm. Yeah, and like calmed him down. I'm yeah. like, that is so cool. Like, yeah, you were talking was, about vibrations. Yeah, he was maybe two weeks old. Uh, <laughs> and he was, he was, he was crying. He was. Yeah. I mean, and, and I didn't know what was going on with him, you know. And and I realized before I had a kid, I I thought that that the parent's role was to get the baby to stop crying. And after I had him, I realized that my role is to to understand why he's crying. Because he's crying because he's asking me for something. Right. That's how he communicates. That's how he communicates. And that's all he had at the time. I mean, he's 10 months old and he's got three or four basic sign language moves that he does now. Yeah. You know, so we can communicate a little bit better. But, um, yeah, back then he, uh, he would start crying and that means, okay, he needs something. I don't know what he needs. In that particular instant, when I happened to catch that on video, because I was doing that all the time back then, um, if he would get overstimulated if he would get tired um any of that kind of stuff and i wanted to help him with that i could just put my mind in the place that i wanted to take him yeah in a very calm again operating from a place of love because if he's crying and i'm like oh my god why are you crying what can i do for you they feel that man when well, you get upset that we can trace that back to its root of fear yes the fear there being 
he needs something and I don't know what it is. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Yes. Right. Or we can trace that back to love of he needs something. And if I can pay attention to him in the right way, he will tell me what it is he needs. Yes. And the only way for me to do it in the right way is for me to be calm and for me to be the environment that I want him to be in emotionally and energetically. Right. And so I just held him and um, let loose with about a 30 second long ohm. And he just calmed down and was staring. Yeah, it was so powerful. I mean, you set him to the vibration that you're trying to get him to. Yeah. You know what I mean? You transferred that from yeah. you. And and ultimately what I did is I, I set the vibration that he wanted to be in. Yes. His crying was telling me that he wanted to be calm. Yes. And so I helped him get there. Yeah, that was so cool, man. So people definitely need to, like, check you out, like, on the social. Um, yeah, so Dave Whitley, um, the Iron Tamer on Facebook, mm-hmm. the Iron Tamer on Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. Um, dude, thank you so much for taking this Thanks time. Thanks for having me on. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to plug promo? Um, did we cover it all? The floor is yours, man. Um, we, we covered the... The stuff that's that's recently come out, the the one dumbbellchallenge.com. We talked about my social media, um, upcoming how to rip a deck of cards. That's actually going to be the first installment of a series of things with the classic feats of strength. Okay, is, is where I'm headed with that. Yeah, and, you um, can make that a whole series of just different. Yeah, different and stuff. and it'll all tie back to old time strongman university with Dennis. Yes, because these are the same feats that we teach in the live workshops. Um, if you're in Prague, I'm going to be at. The European Summit, I think is what it's called. I'm not even sure what kind of summit it is. I want to set some kind of tech thing. Okay. I'll be there the either 12th or 13th of September. And I'm doing, I don't remember what the event is, but it's for a, a group of insurance professionals in San Diego in October. And those are the last two speaking engagements for the year. Uh, that aren't local school type things, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm easy to find. Uh, social media uh if you can't remember any of that stuff iron tamer at gmail.com iron tamer at gmail.com right on hey dave thank you so much thank you so much for having me yeah absolutely so um all right folks until next time guys thank you so much for listening to that episode i hope you found a lot of value out of that um again big thank you to jumbo superfoods go to jumbo cbd you can save 20 percent off their uh off their products just by using the code outside also this episode and every episode is brought to you by Imposed Will. Go to imposedwill.com. Check out our full line of apparel. Also, get on the mailing list. Stay up to date with everything that is going on. And, um, man, big, big thank you to Convergence Media Group. We've partnered with them. We're working with them on improving the YouTube experience. And, uh, man, we're just taking this shit to the next level. So they're an amazing company. I'm so happy to be partnered with them. They do branding and marketing and strategy, and they help grow your brand and your presence um, online. And I'm just so thrilled to be working with them. So if you guys want to check them out, you can go to uh, ConvergenceMG.com. Also check them out on all social platforms at ConvergenceMG. That's all we have for today, folks. I love you. I will catch you next time. Go out and be superhuman. All right, I love you.